0: Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Weyaka, bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Gwilda Weyaka, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Weyaka.
1: Hello, dear friends, and welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show, where we share innovative thoughts and explore deepening truth in support of the path to unity and enlightenment. I'm your host, Wilde Więcka. This hour, we'll be looking at superpowers, collective consciousness, and evolution. It's difficult to look at the current global condition and not sink into despair. Between overpopulation, the resulting pollution, and dwindling resources, we've created massive problems there would appear to be no way out short of some sort of disaster gleaning the herd. But what if perceived overpopulation is instead the stage before unity, evolution, and enlightenment? What if each person alive today, and possibly those that are not, has a unique opportunity to participate in an emergence of collective consciousness? What if we're coming into a time of human superpowers, where solutions to this seemingly impossible situation are easily found? With us this hour to delve into the topic of superpowers and collective consciousness as they relate to evolution is Dean Radin. Dean is the chief scientist at the Institute of No Tech Sciences, an associated distinguished professor of integral and transpersonal psychology at the California Institute of Integral Studies. He earned an MS in electrical engineering and a PhD in psychology from the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, before joining research staff at IONS. He has held appointments at AT&T Bell Labs, Princeton University, University of Edinburgh, and SRI International. He is author and co-author of hundreds of technical and popular articles, four dozen book chapters, and four popular books, The Conscious Universe, Entangled Minds, Supernormal, and Real Magic. His website, com. Dean, thanks for joining us on Mission Evolution.
2: It's my pleasure.
1: So... You're the chief scientist at the Institute of No Tech Scientists. What is that institute and what does it mean?
2: Uh, well, our name is actually Noetic. Uh, thank and you. The, the, the word comes uh, is a Greek word, uh, nous, N-O-U-S, which means to know. And so we study ways of knowing, which involves rational and analytical ways, but also intuitive, psychic, mystical and all of the other non-rational ways of knowing. So what we tend to focus on are experiences that are not yet well accounted for by, uh, by the neurosciences, and those are primarily psychic experiences. So we use all of the tools and techniques of science, but we focus on psychic experience.
1: That's pretty amazing. I mean, it's pretty um, esoteric, if you will. How are you able to study it
2: or to pinpoint it? Well, fortunately, when it comes to experiences, uh, science is very powerful in terms of what it can study. So uh, just to give an example of if somebody says that they had a precognitive dream, a dream the, of something that later turned out to be the case during the day, well, that can be studied in the laboratory under controlled conditions, uh, both in the dream state and in the waking state uh, and the, the key to, to this is that it's under controlled conditions because lots of people have spontaneous psychic events that happen in their lives, but you, you don't know how to judge the meaning of those experiences or, or whether they're real or whether they're uh, a mistake or a delusion or, or whatever. But when you do this under a controlled condition in the lab where you set up the conditions beforehand, you can tell the difference if it's uh, a genuine precognition, a real telepathy, uh, real clairvoyance, and so on. So that's the advantage of uh, doing experiments in the lab, where you're able to tell in principle, is the experience what it appears to be, a real psychic event, or is it some other mundane explanation?
1: So as a scientist, how did you become interested in psychic phenomena and magic in the first place?
2: Well, I didn't know that I was interested in magic other than as fiction until uh, about two years ago when I started writing my latest book, Real Magic. Uh, But the psychic phenomena part uh, came about as a result of reading lots of fairy tales and science fiction when I was a kid. Uh, Within the science fiction genre, uh, starting in about the 1950s, the idea of psychic abilities and machines and technologies based on psychic phenomena became very popular so there's a whole rash of studies in science fiction that then um merged into uh, horror uh stories, and now we see it everywhere in the entertainment business there's psychic things happening constantly in fiction uh Uh, People a little younger than me, of course, would have been enthralled by Harry Potter and other fiction like that. And so my interests are no different than the hundreds of millions of other people who are thoroughly enthralled with the idea of psychic and mystical powers. So the only difference is that I'm a scientist and I've spent the majority of my career studying these phenomena And that's a little unusual because uh, there's only about 40 to 50 scientists in the world who have been doing this at any given time, uh, which is quite odd when you think about it because if you have hundreds of millions of people who are really fascinated by it, normally you'd have lots of people in the academic world who are studying it. But that turns out not to be the case.
1: Why do you suppose that is? Uh, That
2: is odd. Well, there's a taboo uh, about these phenomena. Uh, The taboo is seen very clearly in the esoteric literature, which is one of the reasons why I started to study it, to find out why these phenomena are reported so frequently and are the basis of a lot of our entertainment, but they're more or less excluded from academic study. So one reason is fear, that people kind of like the ideas of psychic phenomena and magic, but they also don't like them very much as real. As fiction, it's okay, but as real, it tends to freak people out. Uh, be partially because of the notion that we, we want the sovereignty of our own mind. We walk around as as we think independent creatures, and we don't like anybody getting inside our head. So that's, that's frightening to many people. Uh, the other reason, especially in the academic world, is that science sees reality within a certain set of assumptions that's called the scientific worldview. Within that set of assumptions, psychic phenomena are impossible to describe. They they don't fit. In which case, some scientists will go as far as saying that ESP, extrasensory perception, is literally impossible. It cannot exist. And therefore, anyone who presents any evidence that it does, or even any anecdote that it does, they have to be mistaken or they made a flaw, or, mis- or, or they're lying. That's the only possible explanation. So that's the And yet the you're, story. Coming up, yes? you're coming up with
1: scientific proof that it does exist.
2: Right. So here we have a bit of a problem. <laughs> so on the one hand, you have uh, scientists and, you, and oftentimes spokespeople for, for science saying this is impossible. And on the other hand, you have evidence showing that, well, it's clearly not impossible because we can see it in the laboratory. So it it sets up a controversy, and academics don't like controversy. And in a simple way, that's why you don't find this very often in the academic world, because it's controversial.
1: Well, you speak of extraordinary psychic abilities or what you call superpowers. What are those exactly?
2: In a sense, every psychic ability, even elementary ones, are already magical phenomena, primarily because we don't have an explanation yet that that all scientists can agree to. So something as simple as telepathy or clairvoyance or precognition uh, or forms of mind-matter interaction, all of those are already extraordinary experiences from a scientific perspective, from a ordinary perspective, meaning an everyday perspective, they're not extraordinary at all. In fact, we did a survey recently to ask people of 25 different kinds of psychic ability, the way that these phenomena tend to manifest in different ways, of the 25, how many of them have you ever had uh, experienced personally? So we asked the general public, we also asked scientists and engineers to find out whether are these the same, are they different? So among the general public, 94% of people said that they had experienced at least one of 25 different kinds of psychic phenomena, and on average, 13. So this is not unusual. A lot of people have had lots of experiences of this type. So then we asked the scientists and engineers the same question. So what percentage of scientists and engineers would you say uh, had experience at least one of 25. What's your guess?
1: Me? Oh gosh. I would say probably 85-90 percent.
2: Very good. It was 93 <laughs> percent. What that tells us is that while scientists and engineers don't talk about this very much, they have the same level of experience as people who are not scientists and engineers, which is not surprising because they're all human. So we're talking about a very common type of human experience that, for historical reasons, is just not allowable within the academic system. So I think eventually it will be. Uh, We just happen to be in a strange point in history where some things are not allowed to be studied.
1: Well, this is really fascinating. We're going to have to take a quick pause, but I'm, I'm interested in talking about how the uh, that denial affects us and our abilities. Um, so on the other side of this pause, Dean and I will be back to discuss this. You're listening to Mission Evolution Radio Show, coming to you on the Zone Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution Radio, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. Remember, past episodes are available on our website, missionevolution.org. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka, and our special guest this hour is Dean Radin. His website, deanradin.com. Dean, before the break, we were just talking about how many of your average people, including scientists, doctors, lawyers, whoever else, uh, actually have a large number of psychic... uh, Um, experiences, but it's just not accepted and therefore it's not talked about. Now, what effect does that have in that that we all have this ability and yet it's not being trained, it's not being, we don't have any etiquette around it because we're in denial of it. What ramifications are happening there?
2: Well, uh, one simple uh, implication of it is that we are not using a resource which we could be using. So the, the resource here is uh, we're constantly faced with <clears throat> making difficult decisions, oftentimes without enough information to be able to make it rationally. So we have to guess in making decisions. Well, wouldn't it be useful to have people who are extremely intuitive and maybe even precognitive who can help us make decisions? So that's one area. Another is that there's a whole branch of people who are extremely adept at psychic healing, that they, they, through their mind, can help heal other people. Well, that's far outside the the medical mainstream, but it works. So that's another resource that we're not using. Uh, Yet another, which was used for 20 years in the U.S. government, was through espionage. So one of the reasons why espionage, it it doesn't sound very nice, but it turns out that of all of the ways of uh, reducing uh, problems in the world, if one side of a conflict actually does know what's happening on the, other, on the other side, then they're less likely to make a mistake because oftentimes conflicts occur because one side doesn't know what the other is doing and so they will attack each other out of fear. But if they know what's actually going on, then everything settles down. So there are a lot of people out there who are extremely adept at clairvoyance. Well, they could be used for that as well. So that's just a couple of examples of cases where if people with these talents were found and cultivated and honored for their ability, just like we do for expert musicians and expert uh, athletes, the world would probably be a better place.
1: You know, also um, athletes and musicians and scientists all, all have very reliable tried and true training and um, Um, it's regulated. In the psychic phenomena, there isn't any. So, you know, how can you tell if somebody's good or even if they have a a gift but it's a wild card? I mean, it kind of leaves us guessing, doesn't it?
2: It does. And so it's not that different than working with a, a doctor because while doctors are licensed, their abilities range a lot from one person to the next. So you do the same with psychics and mediums. You ask around and you get recommendations from your friends, and that's about the best that we have right now. But it's true that in terms of formal training, there there is no formalized uh, certification method that's highly uh, uh, regarded or or distributed around the world. So you you buyer beware.
1: Yeah, it also leaves the people with the gift kind of hanging, right?
2: Right. But usually, the, in my experience, the ones who are really good don't have to advertise. And the fact they don't advertise, because through word of mouth they get as many clients as they wish.
1: Right. No. What I was talking about is if you know, if a person has a gift, but they do, but they have uh, no place that they can get formal training, they they're just kind of left on their own to develop it.
2: Right. But if I mean, it doesn't. It's not that difficult to find uh, books and training programs and so on that are out there to learn more from a scientific perspective or from a practice perspective, uh, all of these phenomena. I mean, especially now on, on on the internet, you have access to virtually every book ever written, including all of the books that used to be completely secret. They're all available now that you can buy or you can even some download some for free or go to a library. You have the world's entire library at your fingertips. So for somebody who's motivated, they can certainly find out things. Uh, and there are plenty of places that are teaching. You can, there's a lot of people teaching remote viewing, for example. Uh, again, there's, it's, there's no standardized method. There's no equivalent of Harvard University that you can go to where you can learn these things. Uh, so you have to be careful, but nevertheless, it's not as though we're, we're living in a time where these kinds of Phenomena uh, were only transferred through an oral tradition, for example. There are lots of places where you can find out information.
1: Um, In my experience, a lot of the information that does come through some of these gifts is in metaphorical form. Um, And so people have to also learn to translate metaphor uh, and allegory. Uh, Has that been your experience in your studies?
2: Well, for for the legendary parts, the lore, absolutely. It's mostly allegory. And even if it isn't allegory, it's written in language from different times and different cultures. And so when those stories are translated into modern English, uh, something is left out. So this is one of the values of looking at the historical record, especially in the esoteric lore or the esoteric traditions. And there, there are lots of interesting books, including the one I just finished, my latest book, Real Magic, uh, gives a, a quick tour of history in terms of Western esoteric ideas. And by doing that, you can see that there are certain threads that you see again and again, different cultures, different times, going all the way back thousands of years to up to the present day. And when you can see it in historical perspective, then the fact that there are different nuances and different languages and different cultures, it doesn't matter so much because you can see that there's a synthesis that is basically the same that has been around since shamanism. So we're talking about at least 10,000 years. And it's the same general idea that just keeps repeating it again and again.
1: Yeah, you see it enough times there has to be something to it, right?
2: Well, or at least that uh, that people haven't changed that much probably in a, a few hundred thousand years. So we tend to think of our, our ancestors uh, 10,000 years ago as being... Uh, not very smart and and not educated, and so on, because they didn't have the structure we had today, but they were every bit as smart as we are today. They just were living in a different different time, they interpreted things in different ways uh, but so the fascinating part is that their experience of psychic phenomena and experience of mystical states was essentially the same as we have today, and that's very interesting because it means this is a a very long term human-centric kind of phenomenon that has repeated throughout human history. So if somebody has a mystical or even a psychic experience today, it's very likely to be almost the same kind of thing, because it's before language, it's pure experience, as somebody 10,000 years ago might have experienced.
1: Mm, Fascinating. So do, do you think everyone has the potential to develop psychic abilities?
2: I think everyone has psychic abilities, whether they realize it or not. Because it's, it's not an ability like you learn to play tennis. It's much more like an ability that you are aware. Well, you don't think of awareness as, having, as being an ability. And nevertheless, if you do meditation, you find that there are many, many layers and nuances to the idea of attention and, and awareness. So if you are sentient you have awareness of any type, then you have the capacity to be psychic because they're not that different. If you practice at it and become more and more aware, greater depth through meditation and other methods, then your psychic ability will be improved as well.
1: Do you think we're entering in a time in history that enhances psychic abilities?
2: I don't think so, no. I think that uh, psychic ability was probably much more prevalent in times when we weren't so distracted. Uh, Our ability to be distracted now is is brought to a high art through constant exposure to media, through our cell phones and smartphones. And uh, it's almost, this is one of the reasons by the way that mindfulness meditation training is becoming so popular that people have almost forgotten at this point what it is like to sit down and be quiet. And, and just attend to what's happening in your mind, rather than being pushed constantly by the world, the external world, which is a distraction. So if you are being constantly distracted, you can't attend to what's happening in your mind. And if you can't attend to that, then you're not gonna be very psychic.
1: Do you think that the mental process gets in the way of psychic ability?
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we know that, that the everyday conscious awareness which is what people are walking around with most of the time, uh, that is the worst state to be in, to to be psychically aware. And, and you see this because uh, you start looking at states of consciousness where psychic ability is stronger, not only anecdotally, but also in the laboratory. You find that it's uh, in dreams, it's while taking psychedelic drugs, while meditating, while engaging in drumming, uh, dancing and so on—all almost anything that pulls you out of your ordinary state of awareness will improve psychic ability, and that tells us. So you're us talking about measuring
1: brain waves, and you can you can scientifically document where you are.
2: Some of it, is, some of it is brain waves, but it's it's more just what you ask somebody to report. What state are they in? Well, dreaming we can tell physiologically, but if somebody is in a meditative state, you can tell that somewhat through their their um, brain activity. But you can also just ask them, "Are you, in a, are, you are you meditating, or did you just meditate for five minutes?" And people know, so that, that's how we that's how we can tell what state somebody is in.
1: So you just go ahead and ask the person. <laughs> go, cons-
2: right. go, go, go figure,
1: right? Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to have to take another quick pause, on the other side of which I'd like to talk about these states and how we can achieve them and what we can achieve through them. So, But it is time for that short pause. Dean and I will return to our discussion on the other side of this break, so you stay right there. This is the Mission Evolution Radio Show on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net.
0: Broadcast studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, to the world and beyond. You're watching the X Zone Broadcast Network. www.xzbn.net. AVS
1: Media.
3: You have heard of the X Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simo TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simo TV today. Sign up at SimulTV.com. Do it today.
1: Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution Radio Show, www.missionevolution.org, bringing the latest tools and information to support the path to enlightenment. I'm your host, Gilda Weyeka. Our guest this hour is Dean Radin. His website is deanradin.com. Dean, we we have touched in on how we can start applying this ancient skill that we've had of of having um, um, non-ordinary experiences what do you think is going to be the most useful application for the individual?
2: Well, the, most individuals are, are interested in uh, pr- pragmatic things, things in their life. They want to improve their, uh, their, their station in life. Uh, but many of us also, especially the older we get or if we've encountered instances of mortality, we're interested in the bigger questions of who am I? how did I get here? Where am I going? Those kinds of questions. So anything which begins to inform us on, on our true nature uh, is valuable in that sense. So psychic phenomena are a way of presenting to us uh, a, a more comprehensive way of thinking about who we are. And so the, from a, a Western secular perspective, which is the training that many people have, we are machines made out of meat. That's the, that's the scientific worldview. This is a nihilistic worldview in the sense that it said, basically says that you're, you're a machine, uh, there's no inherent purpose to you, uh, there, there's no virtue other than anything that we, we come up with ourselves, uh, and it, it creates a, a purposeless and meaningless universe. That's what being called a machine made of meat means. Mm. Mm -hmm. This is what you're taught in a scientific curriculum. And I I see the effect of this in college students who uh, somewhere around their junior year in a science curriculum, they start to get depressed because you hear again and again in many different ways that the universe is pointless. It's just an accident. There's no meaning to anything. Well, maybe that's true and maybe it's not true. So people who have psychic experience and start exploring the nature of their own consciousness, what they very quickly begin to learn is that there's this very long tradition, thousands of years long, uh, the esoteric traditions, which give a very different picture about the nature of reality and your role in it, whereas science is only about 400 years old. So we have a very, very long, thousands of years long tradition that tells us one story, now, we have a science tradition of a couple hundred years that tells us a completely different story. So the reason why we pay attention to science is because the, 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 uh, the doctrine that it is based on, which is called materialism, has been extremely effective in developing technologies. So we wouldn't be able to do this, this broadcast without the technologies that science and materialism have given us. So it's undeniable that something about that is correct. But materialism does not account very well for your internal sense of being of being a person. The thing inside yourself that you call me is awareness. And so science does not know what to do with that at all. And mm-hmm. in fact, some scientists will then say that your internal sense of awareness is an illusion. It's just something that your brain is creating, and it, it's also meaningless. It just is a side effect. Many other scientists are now questioning that that approach and saying that is not not exactly right. So when you look at you look at other traditions that are telling us something about consciousness, rather than saying that consciousness is just an effect of the brain, they're saying no, you got that backwards. Consciousness is actually fundamental. It's simply an important. It's it's a key element of the fabric of reality itself.
1: So this and brings us to my next question: What
2: is collective consciousness? Well, before we even get to collective consciousness, it's just about your own consciousness. What? Well, what is that thing? So, the the esoteric traditions say that consciousness is fundamental. That means that it is simply it's simply there. It's part of the universe. It permeates everything all the time. But that now there's a a distinction between what I call consciousness with a little c which is what you personally experience, which is part of consciousness with a big C. So it, that's universal consciousness. So collective consciousness, you can think of as somewhere in between. So there's seven-plus billion people on Earth, and their collective little C consciousnesses build up into an average of a much bigger conscience consciousness. And all of the esoteric traditions and most religious traditions as well you find again and again the same story, namely that the consciousness in you is identical to the consciousness that's universal. Like in Hinduism, the, the idea is expressed as Atman equals Brahman. That means your awareness and the universal awareness is the same thing. You find it in the Bible, you find it in the Quran. you find it everywhere. And the reason is because this is what mystics have said throughout history. that There's no difference, really, between the thing you call me inside your head, your spark of experience, and a universal awareness.
1: So and do you think developing these uh, esoteric gifts will help us connect from our individual consciousness to the
2: universal consciousness? It's not so much that you would connect to it, but you would realize that it's the same thing and it has always been the same thing. So from a perspective, like an everyday perspective, most people don't walk around being mystics. They don't feel that they're the same as the universe, but with the right spark of experience, uh, sometimes as dramatic as a near-death experience, sometimes less dramatic like a moment of meditation. Other people have had these experiences just walking on the beach and marveling at the sunset, something can trigger the, the this realization that you and the universe are essentially the same thing. So, and what, what does that, that do to our There's a wide experience. variety of ways of experiencing that.
1: What does that do to our experience or our worldview once we've made that connection?
2: Well, interestingly, it creates a transformative experience, uh, just like near-death experiences uh, will shift a person's personality. Uh, a, a, a single experience it might take thirty seconds will change a person from uh, a depressed, cynical, skeptical creature into somebody who's very positive, uh, has a much more expansive sense of themselves, uh, and and is is now concerned about the welfare of others. And this this can, as I said, it can happen in 30 seconds, and it's a permanent uh, transformation. So it it can have a very dramatic effect on somebody's life.
1: As, as we're getting ready to move into this new era uh, where there's so many people on the planet, um, globally, what kind of an effect would it be if more of us become aware of that, of the collective?
2: Well, it'll probably have a very beneficial effect, except that there's an enormous amount of pressure to not have that happen. That the, the uh, civilization, like most other large-scale systems, have an enormous amount of status quo in it. People in power do not want that to change.
1: Exactly. So
2: yeah. One of the reasons why psychic phenomena and special abilities and so on are suppressed is because they challenge existing power. And existing power doesn't want to give up its power. And so they will do everything that it possibly can to say, no, this psychic stuff doesn't exist and consciousness is not really that important and on and on and on. So there's a lot of pressure that's pushing it aside.
1: Well, if a lot of us can connect with our psychic ability and therefore with a larger truth, uh, collectively, if you will, uh, that's going to start pointing out the lies that we've been controlled by, like, you know, false news, media, et cetera, et cetera. What, if it, what, what kind of impact is that going to be?
2: Well, if, uh, studies have shown that uh, roughly 10% of the population can change civilization. You get wow. 10% of… Really? of people and they do something and everyone else will follow. In this case, if you had 10% of the population felt strongly about opening up our understanding of consciousness, it would eventually change civilization. Exactly how it changes it, we don't know. I think it would be good. But as I said, we we don't actually know at this point.
1: It's going to be fascinating, isn't it? Because I think it's
2: inevitable, don't you? Well, it may be part of evolution. Yes, it may be something that uh, we're we're passing through a point in history where we happen to think this way. Um, but things change. We've gone through many different periods of civilization where people believed in many different things. Uh, we could be going through that again now. Pretty fascinating,
1: and we have we have history of uh, when the esoteric practices were commonplace. So we have something to draw on. It's not like we're shooting in the dark completely.
2: We have 10,000 years of esoteric history. So the the names that we're talking about here are everything from uh, shamanism, as I said, to Pythagoras, to Plato, to Neoplatonism, Hermeticism, Gnosticism, the Kabbalah, Rosicrucians, Freemasons, Theosophy, uh, New Thought Church, Mind Science Church, Christian Science Church, and now uh, the whole book genre of affirmations and law of attraction. They're all part of this 10 or 20,000 year long esoteric history, and the reason it's called esoteric is very simply that it is hidden. That's what esoteric means, hidden. And by the same token, occult also means hidden. It has gained a negative connotation for the same reason that the esoteric has, because power structures never liked this information so it called it heretical or demonic even and it's not it's just a different worldview it's a different way of of understanding who and what we are
1: it's very fascinating all that against uh, 200 years of science right (laughs) we're going to have to take another break dean and i will be back shortly so don't you dare go away you're listening to Mission Evolution Radio Show on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net.
3: Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at SimulTV.com. Do it today. The
0: new nonfiction book, Razor of Madness, is similar to cult movies like Clockwork Orange, Dragon's Tattoo, or The Other Side of Hell. Wayne Morin Jr. and Thomas Lee Howe will expose widespread and systematic deficiencies in this thought-provoking tell-all novel. Mind control rages among scholars in law schools. Human rights are ignored while thought reform and mental manipulation are accepted practices used as behavior modification. Dr. Louis Jolion West comes to mind. Media and public scrutiny shows that United States mental hospitals are in fact destructive murder industries. Razor of Madness Expose Novel details this epidemic through an in-depth professional and personal investigation. For decades, there has been a revolving door policy that still releases killers and pedophiles back into society. The maestro of mind control continues to haunt America to this very day. Razor of Madness is available in paperback or as a downloadable ebook at Amazon.com.
4: I'm William S. Peckham. If you enjoy a good mystery with a touch of the paranormal, then you'll love my novel, From Out of the Woodwork. It's the story of a young Toronto contractor, Sean Kennedy, who buys derelict homes, guts them, and turns them into multifamily dwellings. Slums just waiting to happen. When Sean buys 29 Livery Lane, the house fights back. Former owners unexpectedly come out of the woodwork as he starts the destruction. The apparitions come to him when he touches old books, reads hidden letters, rummages through old boxes, finds a locket or reads a discovered manuscript of a murder mystery. From Out of the Woodwork will take you from 1899 to the horror of the World Trade Center, September 11, 2001. Check out From Out of the Woodwork on my website, www.williamspeckham.com.
1: Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution Radio Show, www.missionevolution.org, bringing the latest developments to an evolving world. I'm your host, Golda Wiecka. I always love suggestions from my listeners. You can always email me at info at information, excuse me, at info at missionevolution.org to propose a topic or guest that's on your mind. I'm sure we'll all enjoy them. Our special guest this hour is Dean Radin. His website, deanradin.com. Dean, We were just getting into uh, how the esoteric practices have been around for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, and science has been around for a couple hundred. How do you think we're going to reconcile this?
2: Well, the nice thing about science is that it is not locked into dogma, at least it's not supposed to be locked into dogma. And the history of science shows that uh, at, at least every five years, sometimes every two years, our textbooks are revised. Which, which shows that it is, it's an expansive system. It allows itself to be driven by new observations and new experiments. So that suggests to me that eventually, since we're talking about real phenomena, uh, consciousness and psychic phenomena are real things, that eventually science will catch up to it and, and start to understand it and explain it. And by the same token, what we used to call magic will also start to be understood. At at that point, when we have a mature science that understands magic, for example, uh, the world will look very different than the way it looks today. It's difficult to predict exactly how it's going to look different, uh, but it there will be many elements of it will, that will change, and as as a result, the the average person's concept about reality will also change. It may be maybe we're ten years away from that, or maybe we're a hundred years. It's hard to tell.
1: Um, Are you of the mind that we are creating our reality by our belief systems?
2: I think we are. Uh, Certainly from a uh, psychological perspective, we know that your attitude depends a lot on how you experience everyday life. So that's just from a mundane perspective. But all of the evidence that I know of from studies with psychic phenomena uh, also strongly suggests that our beliefs and imagination and expectation are shaping the nature of reality itself. Uh, and this, of course, is a very unpopular idea within science today, but nevertheless, that's what the experiments are beginning to show. That uh, not, to a, not to a huge extent are, are we um, manipulating reality, but that it happens at all is already an astonishing thing and there's plenty of evidence that we i think we do have the capacity to to push the nature of reality around so the the short answer to your question is yeah we are in some degree participating in the way that reality presents itself
1: and is that manipulation happening a lot through the esoteric arts or can it,
2: it well it, I tend not to make a separation between esoteric ideas and everyday life because it's not really separate. Uh, Our manipulation of reality is happening all the time. Every time you have a whim or a wish or an expectation, that is already pushing the world around. The only difference between somebody who's working on esoteric magic or using a psychic ability uh, is that they're consciously trying to do it they're, they're doing a practice where that is designed to do that very thing, but it's, it's nothing special. Uh, and the reason I can say this is because most of the studies looking at psychic phenomena in the laboratory are done with people who don't make any special claims. They may not have never have had a psychic experience in their life that they remember, but in the laboratory they can still demonstrate it. And that tells us that what is going on here is not at the conscious level it's below the level of consciousness, conscious awareness and in which case it's happening all the time.
1: So what if we bring it conscious and work it collectively?
2: Well now you have the possibility of something more interesting happening. Uh, the The thing about collective ability here is that uh, we're not dealing with something which is a, a linear increase. In other words, if you have one person who can do something, if you get 10 people together, you're not gonna get something 10 times bigger. And that's because the, the nature of these phenomena seem to work more like waves than like particles. That is that uh, waves can, can interfere with each other. And so if you have one person thinking this and another person thinking the anti this, they cancel each other out. So if you can get 10 people who are uh, metaphorically on the same wavelength, exactly, then you can get an increase. But if you have nine people thinking along one one train of thought and then the tenth person is thinking, no, this is stupid, that can destroy the entire thing. So it's very difficult to get more than two people together who are really thinking exactly along the same wavelength. And if now you're thinking about a million people, a million people praying for peace, for example it would be very interesting to survey each of the million people and ask them, what do they think peace means? The likelihood is that there's at least hundreds of thousands of different concepts that people have in mind when they're thinking about peace, and that just creates a big mishmash and and would basically flatten out any response at all. Fascinating.
1: So we're um, kind of shooting ourselves in the foot by our diverse realities.
2: A lot depends on how clear you are. So your intention is important. Your, where you place your attention is also important, but it has to be exceptionally clear. and and not this is not not for esoteric reasons. it's that uh, just in the same sense that uh, life coaches and therapists will always tell you that you need to have very clear goals in in mind, otherwise you never know whether you reach it or not. So the same is true in this domain. If you want to change the world in some way, you have to be absolutely clear on what that means. What it would look like, how it's going to be achieved, and most people are usually not so clear on their goals, and 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 that's why it does things are kind of mushy. It doesn't doesn't happen if you don't know where you're going.
1: Do you think there's any possibility that uh, collective consciousness and superpowers can solve the environmental mess we find ourselves in?
2: I, I do actually. The in the preface to to my latest book, Real Magic, I present a scenario where. Uh, the climate is spiraling out of control, uh, and yet there. Th- this is now a science fiction story in a, a civilization more advanced from ours, where people recognize that consciousness does have the ability to manipulate the physical world. And in that civilization, they simply assign to these talented people to fix it, and they do. So, yeah, if you have people who are talented and they have a very clear idea about what they're going to do, then the answer is yes. I think we, we can not only fix the climate, we can fix anything that we wish.
1: This is really hopeful because I know a lot of people are kind of de- you know, despairing right now.
2: Yeah, and a lot of the despair is because we, we don't have a sense that any one of us or even collectives of us can do anything. <clears throat> but what all of these phenomena tell us is that every, every time you think a thought and have a whim or have a wish about something, that is contributing in a positive sense. You just have to keep in mind though that there are also lots of other people there who have exactly the opposite thoughts. This is one of the reasons we see such uh, angst in politics. You have people who just scream at each other, that's not going to accomplish very much. So part of the of the puzzle here then is to uh, to figure out a way of not continually inflaming people's emotions and fears which is what today's media and social media is doing very effectively. It just keeps us in a churning state where where we we can't move ahead in a positive direction. Uh, But as I said before, if you get 10% of the population to agree on something, you can move mountains. You can Mm. reshape reality. So a lot of it comes down to programs like yours, where you try to reach as many people as you can and give them hope that with the right kind of collective agreement – yeah, all kinds of interesting things can happen.
1: What influence will the evolution of the collective consciousness and superpowers have on our perception of reality?
2: Well, that that's an interesting question. Uh, perception of reality and understanding of reality are slightly different. So it'll certainly have a difference in terms of our understanding of reality. Rather than being in a pointless universe, we may well end up... It, with a model that says, no, the universe is, is highly purposeful. You have a place and a role to play in, in the universe. I think that is one of the directions we'll go. But in terms of perception, your perception of reality, I'm going to have to think about that, because th- that, that's a question I haven't been asked very often.
1: Yeah, it's because if, we, our, if our perception of reality is different, it's hard to be on the same purpose, uh, hard to direct our intention, isn't it?
2: Well, no, not necessarily, because uh, like, a, a mystic's perception of reality is that reality is simply one giant universal mind. Mm, okay. It's like completely perfect. It's like a crystal that is absolutely perfect. Everything is perfect. That's one form of a perception. Uh, there are other people who perceive the universe as completely random. So that this is what, what I, the reason why it's hard to answer that question because there's so many different ways of perceiving uh, how what the universe is that I'm not sure that uh, narrowing it down to any one type of perception is going to cover the, the ballpark. It's just too big.
1: Well, well, Dean, only too soon we're out of time. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure having you.
2: Yeah, it's been fun. All
1: right. Our guest this hour has been Chief Scientist at the Institute of No-Tech Sciences and Professor of Integral and Transpersonal Psychology, Dean Radin. He is the author of The Conscious Universe, Entangled Minds, Supernormal, and Real Magic. His website, deanradin.com. Remember to join our email family to stay abreast of all the exciting new things we have coming up at missionevolution.org. This has been Mission Evolution Radio Show with Guildeweyeka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xbn.net. Join us next time as the mission continues to bring information, resources, and support to an evolving world.